Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. Well, Tamson and Dan read the paper on Wednesday. Yeah, but what day is it? September 13th. 13th. September 13th. There you go. Okay. So hot. We're yeah. going to turn the corner soon. The day after many birthdays. Martha Ann. Mm. Witzig. And who else? Steve Granger. Really? Okay. My brother's son. My nephew. Okay. And, uh, and there are more coming up. They're more on the docket. Oh, I, know. I know that Pepper's birthday's coming up. I know that's that's a big one. All Cap's birthday. Third birthday. And, and Kathy Easton will the be big coming one. up. Although so. when he asked Pepper, who's going to be three, when asked how old she's going to be, she always says six. Which we can't understand that. because Especially think, we can't understand it. We don't go around saying, you know. We're going to be older. Yeah, we're going to be 76. Be, that's right. Next we're birthday. Be 90. Pepper <laughs> says six. You try to talk her out of it, she won't be talked out of it. So, skip in a few years. Uh, Frankly, she seems older than six anyway. She does. She's a very sophisticated young girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, we, we last uh, broadcast from Mohawk. Mountain right? House. Yeah. Mohawk Mountain House at the beginning of our short vacation stay there. And, uh, but then, of course, uh, new, there were new events and uh, new things happened there. So, we can report on those. Well, we did it at the beginning of the stay. Yeah. We didn't know if we were going to have a great time or not. Well, we always have a good time. You yeah. predicted we would have a good time. Yeah. Well, I always see the sunny side of things. That's, that's, that's the theme. That's the way I am. I'm hardwired. And, and actually, we did have a good time. We had a great time. We had an excellent time. Well, part of it was lucky in that uh, it stayed warm later in the season. And uh, it's nice to be able to swim outside at Mohawk if it's not freezing cold. So... We did some. We did a lot of very good swimming. Yes, and that was a highlight. They were wonderful. Although every time we were in the water, people were talking about seeing snakes. And, you know, there's a lot of talk that you know. Here's the key for me: when I swim, I don't wear my glasses, so uh, there's a lot I don't see. And uh, but you would be able to see like some shadow no. slithering by. No, that, my mind is hardwired <laughs> not to see things like that. See, some people don't go for lake swimming for that reason. Yeah, well, because you may run into wildlife. Yeah, well, it's uh, listen. We have one complaint about Mohawk. It's a small thing, and that is that uh, you know, it's all meals included, and they charge you a fortune for that. But you know, that's what it costs. But the alcohol is separate cost. We well understand, but for whatever reason this year, to decided it was time that to hike the alcohol prices by like fifty uh, percent. You know, it was noticeable. It was kind of silly, and uh, you just kind of look at it and go, uh, "It's kind of annoying." You know, it's like, what do you mean, kind of annoying? It's just it's downright rude. There are very excellent restaurants that pride themselves on having uh, opportunities uh, to. Uh, a cheaper wine, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you want to, yeah, but, okay, but, yeah. And uh, here the uh, um, the four ounce glass of wine started at eighteen dollars. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to make too much out of it because we're spending a lot on Mohawk, so we're not. This is not a time to complain about prices, but but the fact of the matter is, you're right. Rude's a better word than anything because, uh, yeah, good restaurants always have an affordable bottle of this, an affordable glass of that, and this applies to the beer too, but. Uh, but the other thing is, I, there's a response that is a truly fine restaurant, I suppose. Fine, we would never go to anyway. You know, wouldn't have that because they're in the stratosphere. But that's not what Mohawk is. And to the extent that they think that's what they are, they're, they're misinformed. 
So that's a little off. Well, I, I'm sure they, they feel they want to offer us the finest. But yeah. the thing is, I don't need the finest. Yeah, well, okay, I don't have the palate that deserves that. It, it, it's, it's, so a small thing. it's a small thing. It's not why we go to Milan. We don't go to Milan to drink, that's for sure. And, uh, <laughs> it's just funny when you, know, you have a sort of relationship with folks. We go many times, many years, and then they do something like that. You just say, really? So here's the funny thing. The first night, yeah. and uh, we always late in making reservations, so we get late dinner reservations. Right, right, right. So our dinner reservation was at 7.45. Yeah. Not the worst thing, because there's not all that much to do at night in Mohawk, yeah. but uh, you might want to go to the 8.30 music program. Right, we missed and, it. And, uh, yeah, we got out of dinner at 9.30. Because the service was terrible. <laughs> but, was. but that's the kind of thing we don't normally complain about, because that's part of mom. Yeah, it's, it's not a fine dining establishment. Yes. Um, and uh, so so we were a little bummed, and we were uh, skeptical about whether we were going to... Sometimes we hear really great music at Mohawk, yeah. and we were truly skeptical. Uh, but uh, I could just say that uh, day two, we had two excellent... Music experiences. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And one was pretty accidental. Uh, we went out for an afternoon walk, and on the way, we stopped by uh, this one porch off the uh, first floor parlor, and they were having a concert. It was a guy named David Lutkin hmm. with a small group, and his. He, he titled his thing, The Best Folks I Know. And he was sort of a um, folk music guy. Yeah, sure. You know? Absolutely. Uh, Woody Guthrie, Lead Belly, you know, The Chieftains, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan. Yeah. And uh, and he was older, like about our age. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked him up. I looked really? Him up. Yeah. Really? Young, 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 youngish looking guy then. Well, yeah, he has. He's two years younger than we are. Okay, but uh, I would say that's about our age. Yeah, and uh, he has been on Broadway. He's been on Broadway in things like uh, the Will Rogers Follies, yeah. uh, which occasioned him to meet Johnny Cash, yeah. because uh, Johnny Cash was doing a part yeah. in uh, the Will Rogers Folly as a you know celebrity that he yeah, steps right. into celebrity cast, um, and uh, he had coach. Johnny Cash on that. And uh, he was great. The musical choices were great. His uh, um, fellow musicians were great. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't get their names uh, because we just walked into the thing late. Right. Uh, but it was, uh, he was on, uh, David Luck was on uh, the guitar. There was a woman on a fiddle and um, a recorder and stuff. And then there was a guy on a banjo and mandolin mm -hmm. um and uh you know it's not that we're into folk music right. but but he was terrific he was an excellent mm -hmm. entertainer mm -hmm. and uh, the music was great you know referred to woody guthrie i guess he has a a show he does called woody says mm -hmm. that he takes around he's been taking around i don't know for probably about 15 years mm -hmm. um so that was Terrific, and uh, and it was outside. There were breezes blowing. It was lovely. And then that night, again, we we arrived a little bit late. We said, "Oh, we'll stop by this thing. It's some reggae thing. Who knows?" Mm -hmm. And uh, we sat down, and we were skeptical at first. 
and it was fantastic. It was a group called The Big Takeover, and uh, as they say in the write-up, fronted by Jamaican-born singer and songwriter Nini Rushi, or Rushi, and uh, she was great. Her band was great. The guy on the trombone, the horns were amazing, mm -hmm. and they were playing music, a combination of um, reggae, rock steady, and ska and jazz. Nothing we know anything about. Hmm. And it was great. And that is sometimes the delight to luck into something completely new to you. Uh, and uh, that's what that was. And that was fun. Yeah. So this was quite a, a scene. And it was, yeah, it was kind of musically, uh, I mean, it reminded me a little of, of uh, Fiala before we saw that show years ago. Yeah, well, the There's Caribbean, some, uh, yeah, the, the reggae has some basis in yeah. the African... The Afrobeat stuff yeah, that's well. associated yeah. with Nigeria, okay. yeah. uh, which I thought was great music. Uh, but it, they had a range, they were, and, and apparently Ska is famous for encompassing a range. You had stuff that sounded like Plutto, and you had stuff that sounded like R&B. Uh, well, the rock steady yeah. is the R&B, mm -hmm. and the Ska... Those more to Calypso. Okay. It's, a, it's a syncopated beat. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know. And they slip from one to the other. And, and frankly, yeah. I, I could parse it and tell you which I prefer, but that's not the point. The point is that they were very interesting. They were, uh, you know, and it was, it was not a, uh, it was very different from the folk music present. Very different. It was blasting. And we weren't out. trying to like this. Yeah. You, you know, you just really got carried away. The drums were great, yeah. the horns were great. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was it was a powerful amount of music. It was a funny match for, to, you know, for, for the audience because you know the really? audience tends to it's mohonk skew a little over. Probably you think of, you associate that the demographic more with the folk music than with this presentation, which was from out of the blue. But they were fairly enthusiastically received. There certainly were a few couples that got up and danced uh, kind of spontaneously, like on or near the stage. It was quite a scene. And, and the other thing I should say about the group, uh, the big takeover, as you said, um, I guess they're legit. I guess they're in demand. They were appearing in Brooklyn two nights later uh, at some club. Well, it uh, says on, you know, their their online presence is not very explanatory. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it does say they're a Hudson Valley group. They're from New Paltz. Mm. <laughs> well, that's funny. <laughs> Which is funny. And, uh, Anyway, it was it well, was if you're getting booked a delightful. In Brooklyn, it was a delightful surprise. They got it, some, it was uh, great. Bonafide, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so we had a good time. You do hear a real range of music at Mohawk, and it's not like it's the most carefully curated. Sometimes it's absolutely elevated music. Yeah. And um, and you know it's and you know I I would say do you want to if you ask me do you want to go hear some folk music I'd say ah I don't know you know because sometimes it's a little folky. Yeah, no, but this, this is, was well, uh, this was great. <laughs> so you know, it, you never know. And and I did go to a nice uh, Yin yoga class. Yeah. We did a lot of walking and hiking, and no, uh, even time. though it was rather warm. Yeah. Oh, well, we always could end up in the lake. So uh, then later, then on the weekend, we got back toward the end of the week, and uh, on the weekend we headed up. And we saw my uh, Uncle Morty and my Aunt Happy, who live in Farmingdale, who by now are in their uh, mid to late 90s. And, um, and Well, first of all, the amazing thing about it is you remembered the address. 
That's not the case. You have no sense of direction or well, just the anything. It's the idea. I remember you remembered the address. I remember the address from from addressing thank you cards. I'm going to say 60 years ago. Right, it's probably true, but something that's the way it works. So you we say, seats on the bus. It's we made way. our way there. And we got there through the usual Belt Parkway traffic. That's a little bit traffic. of a haul. Yeah, yeah. It's a long drive, but and and we're invited by uh, uh, Jack. Um, uh, morning Taffy's son. He was there and his daughter, Brittany, was there. And we had a nice conversation uh, with all. Uh, at the outset, mostly with Jack. And then as, as Morty warmed up, uh, uh, more with Morty. And, um, you know, I've known Well, Morty you know what the funny thing life. about talking to Jackie was? Wow. Um, we're just chatting away, and Brittany mentions Mohawk Mountain House. Right. You know, and... Uh, and it turns out, completely unbeknownst to each other, we've been to Mohawk. And they, Jack and his family, Jack, your cousin, and his family have been to Mohawk. Well, okay. and, and it's not its not a normal Jewish kid thing to do. Well, all right. I wasn't going to break it down that way. But the other thing, on top of that, is, apropos of nothing, Jack mentions uh, that he was in Denville the day before on Saturday. No, it wasn't after of nothing. What was it? How did it come we up? We said, they they said, where is your son living? Oh, Granger in Denville. In Denville. Have and you it, ever heard of Denville? Yes, I was there yesterday. And we were there yesterday. <laughs> but we didn't see it. Anyway, uh, but to, to get back uh, to Uncle Morty, who we don't see very often, and, and, and Aunt Happy, um, uh, you know, it was interesting talking. We don't see him too often. We certainly didn't see them during the pandemic. And uh, Morty was uh, delving into some recollections of things. But to me, the most interesting change was... You mean more interesting than the uh, checker cab he drove? Uh, I actually was more interested in that than you were. Uh, because yeah, because yeah. it had no brakes. One of his first cars had no brakes. Had no brakes. He had so, to brake. He used to go near the curb and rub the, the tires up. Against the curb. Uh, yeah. Stop. Morty, see, he's the guy in my family. He's an he's, innovator. He's, he's most, a problem solver. He's very mechanical. <laughs> he's always been very mechanical. That was a good solution. But... but uh, you said uh, at one point out of the blue, you said, you know, here's a here's a question that we have. Maybe you can uh, help us with this. Because uh, uh, we have from my parents uh, a huge collection of playbills, which indicates that they went to a lot of theater, not just uh, when they were a little settled, but even when they were younger, uh, when they were in their 20s, and that would have been in the, in the 1940s and 1950s and stuff like that. And uh, did you, you know, how did that work? Because we're surprised that there were such big theater goers, particularly at a young age in New York City. Wouldn't that have been expensive? And and Morty's initial reaction was, uh, I don't know anything about that. I don't I don't know that they went to play. He and, said, I don't think they. I, I don't, don't think those are those weren't their playbills. They, yeah, they're probably not their playbills because <laughs> I don't think they went to play. And we said, but Morty, I you know I, I kind of grew up with my parents. I kind of know they kind of these are their playbills. Are their playbills. <laughs> And then he looked at us and then he says, you know, now that you mention it, um, I do remember going to the theater with, he's talking to me, with your parents in the late 40s. Uh, 1948. 1948. With a bunch of guys. We went to see Gentlemen Prefer Blonde. He remembered right. with Carol Channing. Yes. And I'm saying to myself, well, that sounds like something they would go to. And then as he thinks about it, it all comes back to him and he gives us a very detailed and interesting story how they decided to make a night of it. They had it was New Year's Eve 
They rented the whole group rented a hotel room where they crashed after the theater. And most significantly, it was his first date with Taffy, with my aunt Taffy. It was a blind date. It was a blind date. And they got picked together. up by a friend. Right. And that, that is the magic moment when they got in. And it all starts flooding back. And he's explaining this story and in, in richer, richer detail. And I, I never doubted the story, but it was just amazing to have all the details sort of unfold. So it was a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, it was a worthwhile and, conversation. And it was worth sort of bringing back the memory of that first date with Taffy. And he gave us some more details of that. We don't have to go into that, but uh, nothing word. But <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty interesting event. So it was good to see Uncle Morty, Nan Taffy, and Jack, and Brittany. Um, all right. So what, what do we have next? Year? So we have, uh, I can only read. What I what I noted down. Food expiration dates. Oh yeah, yeah. This is a huge story. A huge story buried For in the Wall Street Journal. You don't think that's a huge story? Okay, here's the. I don't, I don't know. You 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 introduce it. Well, yeah. I'll just tell you. The headline says food expiration dates. What a waste! And the Wall Street Journal. And it says we're all familiar with uh, the food expiration dates that you see on products that you buy. They say things like uh, best buy or better if used buy or sell buy. And we all take it for an indication of the date beyond which the food is no good. And, and right, and everybody in the family gives me a hard time about it. Wow. Because I notoriously say, no, 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 I can use sour milk. Uh, you well, know, don't throw the milk you, you, out. But that's yeah. sour milk. But my point is, no, the broader point. But I am much, I am very reluctant. Yeah. I am the brunt of much of Sadie's, uh, well, let me, let whatever, me. Um, because I am reluctant to throw things right. away. Right. Yes, but it's just because it says more generally 2020. That's just you know a few years ago. Here's the most the, the, the well-known TV commercial where the, the woman, the aunt, walks into uh, the young couple's kitchen, opens the refrigerator, and picking up rice, going expire, 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 and throwing them and throw, out. Throwing them out. Well, it turns out you shouldn't throw them out. It, it turns out you don't have to throw. Well, them you out. shouldn't throw them out. It's no, a, no, no, no. Not... Well, let me put it to you this way. The fact that it, it says Best Buy or something like that is no reason to throw it out. It might be. It doesn't literally mean it will kill you. Not only does it doesn't literally mean, it doesn't in any way mean that it's that is bad. It is no indication that it's bad. It's a zero meaningless <laughs> statement. You know why it's there? It's there so that the, the retailers who have the products stock the products accordingly so they have the best products Lined up in front. Well, they rotate the really stock. Right. They know how they but have some dates by which. But that's a but the reason they I, do I, I, it. Hold on, that's a purpose completely apart from whether you should be throwing things out in your refrigerator. You don't throw things out in your refrigerator because it says Best Buy. No, 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 yeah, that's true. Right, but that it doesn't uh, negate the fact that many things do not taste that good. Right. After a certain point. That's true. Also, things won't cook properly. If you have real, if you have older, even dry beans, which seem impervious, yeah. they will not cook properly but I am after not, a certain point. I am point. not telling you okay. that you should never throw things out. Not the right. point. The point is that this notion 
that uh, the label that you see or the date that you see on your product is a strong indicator that it's time to head into the trash is 100% wrong. But you do have to use your common sense. Of course. Which you do not. Don't take me out of this. I have nothing to do with this. No, you you don't read labels. There's no question about that. Yeah. But you should at least, you know, the actual mold on the fruit, all right, is an indication that it's not an. I have thrown out a lot of molten fruit. Look at it. The story is not about me. Not my point. My point. But I, I would, you know, my story is about you. you know, what I thought, this is a justification yeah. no. for never throwing not, anything to the record. Say, my point is, I know what you were going to bring up that when we went, we go to the kitchen. In the last few years, when we visited Long Island, my parents were quite old. We would go to the the spice cabinet, which had the lineup of the McCormick tins of spices. And the dates on those oh. were 1954, 1955, No, there were no dates. First of all, things that old didn't have dates. Okay. okay. But, and I didn't, I, I didn't even go to the spice cabinet because I knew well enough from my mother's spice cabinet and from an incident with Mrs. Applegate's spice cabinet. Remember Mrs. Applegate? I remember Mrs. Applegate. I never knew okay. the spice she, cabinet. She was 87. We yeah. were a young couple yeah. with a young child. And uh, she was our next door neighbor. Right. And one time I went over to her house and borrowed a spice. Yeah. Okay. And I forget exactly what it was. So it's something innocuous, yeah. you know, oregano or thyme or something. And I shook it into what I was cooking because yeah. I had, I, you know, I had a basic idea of how much I right. wanted. It was all insects. Okay. All well, insects. That's a, that's a, and it's a different so, kind of issue. Yeah. Right, so you the, a the spices are no longer have no flavor yeah. after the first my, my twenty point, years. Yeah, I feel comfortable in saying that, uh, and b that you know, but you you would know about the spices just because of the tins themselves. Yeah. Right, those tins, you know, that style of tin hadn't been. Well, made they also had to the extent they had years, years on them was in Roman numerals or article. No, there was in great what they. The article actually is very strongly worded about the food expiration date, saying that a lot of food gets thrown out for no reason because people don't understand the significance or lack of significance of those dates. Let me just leave it at that. Okay. No, I, I do think that's true. I yeah. do think that's true. But um, I would also say a lot of food gets thrown out because people just don't aren't smart about using their food efficiently, yeah. okay. and it. And it goes bad, and they uh, and they have to throw it out. But the uh, expiration is not necessarily an indication. It it's definitely not an indication of you know something that will kill you. Or get kill you. It's, 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 it's an indication some, of variable. sometimes it is. So you know we have the fresh no, 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 fish, no, no, no. the no, fresh meat, etc. Well, things no, it's go not bad. Coincidence. Things no. go bad. But the, the expiration dates are not a good guide. All right, let's move on. Expiration dates. Forget them. My point. Forget them. All right. Hopping. The article actually says "used by" is to be taken seriously. Okay, if we move on. Let's move yeah. on. Uh, yeah, I know you're just using this for you know to sanctify your own practices. But um, anyway, in-person shopping is getting worse. Yeah, well, I, you know, this just confirms what we knew. Well, it's getting worse in two in several senses. One is it, it continues to go down. Yeah, and another, the experience is getting worse. I think because. Uh, realtor retailers are having more and more difficult. Continue to have difficulty in getting staff. Right. So it's uh, 
it's hard to get help. It's hard to check out. Um, and consequently, people, you know, people say, look, I might as well, you know, sit at home and order from Amazon in right. two minutes than uh, spend uh, an hour at Macy's right. trying to get out. Well, the other thing, in particular, in the drugstores, like a CVS, and the article actually confirms this with data. I mean, Google has this impression. It shows that there's fewer people working there. But it also points out, again, as you go to a CVS, it's not just nobody's working there, but a lot of products are locked up. So you might be going in to buy... No, it's a combination, Daniel. Yeah, it's a combination. It's a there's combination. nobody working there. They'll have one cashier, yeah. and then they'll have, you know, certain products locked up. Not even, you know, uh, controlled substances. Or no, 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 just no, no, razors no. or Anything whatever. that costs more than $8. And yeah. the person, the cashier in has the front of the shop yeah, yeah. has to walk back and unlock it while everybody waits online yeah. and come back. So that's stupid. Although the article does mention that some Costco and Target and some right. other companies are doing better, are have more employees and have more sales. So I, I don't know how they really... Uh, equate that with these other businesses. Although they say some of the businesses, um, like uh, Dollar General, which yeah. people seem to love, um, has sales have been going down and they say that's because uh, the stores have gotten uh, really uh, terrible looking. Right. They're not being uh, properly uh, cleaned and uh, displayed. Oh, look, I can tell you, I think with Costco, because I do go to Costco once in a while, and the, the help the Costco is ten times better than a CVS or something. Right. Uh, and this article says they have more help. Yeah, they do. Hiring more people. At the end of this article, it says okay. when the retailers, you know, are frustrated about being able to sell more, okay. the way they improve their margins is to cut staffing yeah. more. So it's not simply a matter of not getting adequate staff. They are cutting staff. Sure. To give the appearance of better margins, yeah. and uh, well, the article here recommends that uh, if you see that, if you know, if you see margins uh, improving for that reason, you know, uh, don't invest in this. Right, exactly. They're, well, that's what the journals are going down the tubes. Journals helping you invest. So here, but I think that's uh, again, I think that is uh, kind of sad that, uh, um, and and frustrating. Yeah, you know. Well, it's, it's pushing people more to online. First. I mean, not that I like to shop, yeah. but uh, you certainly do better by being able to see and touch uh, and experience yeah. what you're buying right. as opposed to the computer experience. So, um, But this is talking about giant companies. Yeah. Even, uh, well, it's talking about giant companies. We had reported before on the uh, Charter uh, Disney issue in Charter Flash Spectrum. And this, of course, we were cued in, clued in this because your mother couldn't watch the tennis and she wasn't getting ESPN because her carrier for Spectrum uh, wasn't getting uh, the Disney control of ESPN. And that's because uh, Charter and uh, Disney were not able to reach an arrangement by which Charter would be continue to carry Disney ESPN programming. Well, as we mentioned before, the dispute is not the normal dispute uh, about you know how much you're going to pay for the programming. It's actually a more complicated dispute. It came about because Charter objected to the notion that Walt Disney, on the one hand, was uh, selling an ESPN channel to it. On the other hand, also streaming, uh, well, I shouldn't say an ESPN channel, it was, had a Disney channel that Charter was carrying. Uh, but at the same time, ESPN was streaming a Disney channel, 
different and which is really undercutting the value of the channel that Twitter was offering its subscribers. In many ways, the Disney streaming alternative was superior. So Charter says to Disney, what are you doing? I mean, um, you've got to make, make the streaming channel available to our subscribers. Because otherwise, uh, we don't have a value proposition for our customers. It looks foolish. We're offering something. Right. right. You were saying, you know, one of the things you're going to get if you sign up with Spectrum is Disney. Disney. And, and then it turns out they don't get... Real Disney. They don't get the uh, best Disney. They don't, yeah, Disney, yeah. So they don't get what they're looking for. Well, here's, and, and so here's what's interesting about this. Uh, number one, first of all, they settled with the screen. And your mother was able to watch the final. So the tennis. They did find a workaround, though. I don't know if it was oh, your mother legal did? or what. Oh, okay. But, okay. okay. but uh, they did find some kind of workaround. Okay. Well, quite apart from your mother's tennis experience, the, uh, the uh, dispute was resolved. Okay. Uh, and I can give you the details. They're not that fascinating. In one sentence, it's that uh, now Charter is able to offer the Disney streaming channel at a wholesale price. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. but but here's what's what's interesting about it: the way the journal writes about it. Um, and it was when Charter was able to say to Disney at a certain point, "Say, look, we shouldn't really be fighting this because the truth is, you need us, Charter. You, Disney, need us, Charter." to survive and to continue to be profitable. In other words, people are cutting the cord in increasing numbers and leaving the cable contract right. from people from shorter increasingly. And yet a lot of people like us continue to have cable contracts. And here's the funny thing about this. The cable business is profitable. The streaming business is not. Now think How about that. Be? It's absolutely true. Okay. Because the way they're running the streaming business is it's sort of on the come, on the notion that they're going to line up subscribers and whatever, and that in the future they'll make money. Streaming is a losing money. Cable continues to make money. So in a sense, Disney is relying on the success of the cable business and the money it makes in connection with showing its programming there to sort of underwrite continued losses in the streaming business. This is absolutely true. And this is why, this is why, a major reason why you have the actor strike and the writer strike, because they're complaining about the streaming compensation. When it was just cable, the actors and the writers got paid handsomely. Once it became streaming, the streaming companies were saying, guys, guys being the actors and the writers, we're not making much money. We're not paying you much money. That's really what's behind the actors and writers strike. Oh, right. So that's really what's behind it. Uh, and <laughs> but isn't it a little crazy? I mean, you have people paying monthly fees to yeah. get programming. Yeah. In both situations. Yeah. Yes. Well, is it, is it because it's so much more? You want to tell you what, what the difference what? is? Because it's the way it's bundled. So the the cable TV companies continue to succeed in bundling a whole bunch of channels. And charging eighty dollars a month or a hundred dollars a month, whatever it is, whereas the streaming services have a narrower, skinny bundle or no bundle, or a single channel, and they say you know get stars for five dollars a month. And, and but by it, the time you add up all those five dollars a month, you might think so. You think might, you're spending a lot, right? But the fact of the matter is, right now, bottom line, 
cable TV, even though it's shrinking, is profitable and streaming is not. So that's that it is startling that, but it's absolutely true. And um, that's that's the funny position these companies find themselves in. It's not like Disney has to support shortening because if the cable companies went away, Disney would lose money. All right. It needs to, it wants cable TV to continue to succeed even while it's selling its product on a streaming service. So it's complex and, uh, you know, we'll work its way through. Well, the solution may be ultimately that people end up with a combination of cable plus streaming. We'll see, but it's interesting how it links up with the strikes. Um, okay, so you had uh, a couple articles really about uh, kids. Well, <laughs> you brought an article to uh, my attention yeah. about absenteeism at school, right. which we had also read about actually Block Island. Block Island is having trouble getting the kids to go to school. Right. It's a very small school. Small number. And, uh, you know, so the problem looms large when, uh, you know, three people don't show up only four people in the class, et cetera. Uh, but um, the, it seems that uh, absenteeism is a real problem across the country, okay? And uh, people are saying, well, they're, they're saying the that reason is yeah. that during COVID, kids got out of the habit of going to school. Right, right. It's but, a habit. You get up, you got to go to school. All right. Well, let's start okay. with, first of all, it seems like it's loose talk, but they say actually absenteeism in schools across the country is 10%, which is an extremely high number. It's a number I can understand. It does seem like a high number, okay? And then we get to, so that's real. Then you get to the offered explanation, got out of the habit, which I think I I, I reject. That doesn't make any sense to me. That, that, that's too apparent to me. I, I don't get that, okay? That's why they have alarm clocks. So you wake up when the alarm goes off. It's not even happening at seven o'clock in the morning. So, uh, but there's no obvious explanation. So it's not like I have a better explanation. Here, this is the way they explain it. For almost two years, we told families that school can look different. Schoolwork can be accomplished in times outside traditional eight to three, right? Families got used to that. I don't know. You know what I think it is? You know, Daniel, habit is everything. No. All right? Habit is everything. You get up, you work out every morning, the yes. minute, you know, right. when you first get up, right. all right? Yeah. Once you stop that and you and you are reluctant to stop that, because I know you feel if you stop, you won't do it, right. all right? Forget, You'll get out of that This habit. has nothing to do with you. Same thing with school. No. Here's, here's the thing. I think more likely, and the article doesn't really go into this, I think more likely people got comfortable with the alternative of online being available. I think a lot of schools are basically contributing to the absenteeism by contributing, by continuing to make online available. Mm-hmm. If you make online available, you're going to have higher absenteeism. And I can tell this from the class I teach. There was uh, one student, uh, you know, wrote me a note right away, said the first two weeks, I'm going to make, I'm not going to make it. And you uh, put the uh, class online so I can participate by Zoom. And he gave his reason. I looked at the reason, and I didn't think it was a great reason. So I said, look, I don't want to be a hard ass about this. You can skip the first one, or you can watch it by Zoom. Let's talk before the second week, because I want to get a further explanation for this. And what I was doing is acting in accordance with school policy, which says, no, no, no. This is not a Zoom school. It's a temple. It's not a Zoom school. We're not offering Zoom. Okay? Only in exceptional situations. So I came down pretty clear on 
And what happened? Kid dropped the class. Well, you don't know why they dropped it. Oh, I, I, yes, I do. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. He dropped the class because I was going to be a hard ass about it. I'm telling you, that's why he dropped the class. But he didn't say that. To no, you. he didn't say anything. He goes All right, right. so okay. you don't really yeah. know. And yet I know. parents think no, no, no. Uh, that allowing an anxious child to skip a day of school is doing the right thing. Yeah. And then, of course, it's not. Doing so often makes the child feel better for the moment. Well, that, that I believe. But there are costs. Yeah. The most fundamental thing for adults to understand at this point is that it, the avoidance feeds anxiety. Yeah, of course. When we are fearful, our instinct is to avoid. Giving into that anxiety is highly reinforced. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a mistake that you just stay over. But that, 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 that leads into this other article, which is about anxiety. Yeah, so this article is written by Dr. Camilo Ortiz and Lenore Skenazi. Yeah. And Lenore Skenazi, author of Free Range Kids, uh, you know, the, the name may seem familiar because uh, in 2008, she was a New York mom who let her nine-year-old uh, child ride the subway alone. Yeah, and something and you were aware of? Got labeled the America, America's worst mom. Oh, really? All right, and consequently started the free-range uh, kids moment, which grew into Let Grow, a national nonprofit promoting childhood independence and resilience. And the point is, you know, basic point is uh, kids' anxiety is going up, all right? And uh, according to these people, it's a consequence of children's freedom going down. Uh, the uh, fewer things that kids are allowed to do on their own, take, have their own responsibility, you know, being able to run out to the store, sure. go to a friend's, walk to a friend's house two blocks alone, uh, and things like that. Uh, and the less they do that, the less they are able to do. Yeah. And they're more anxious about doing anything. Yeah, I that. So um, the let go, let grow um, movement is to try to encourage schools and, and people to encourage independent activities by kids. Not say, I know you're afraid to sleep alone at night. Uh, maybe you could try tonight, but more like, uh, more obliquely, like, what kind of things would you like to try to do on your own? Mm -hmm. um, and as they try, you know, various other activities, going to the grocery store, taking the, the bus, um, taking a, a little brother to do something, etc. As they step out and do other things independently of their choosing, you know, with safe guidelines, they're able to, anxiety has been greatly reduced and they're able to yeah, function uh, more independently. Sure. In general, if you give kids more freedom and independence, they're going to be uh, more independent, and uh, they're going to be more comfortable in a range of situations. That they'll get comfortable with the notion of uh, everything not being laid out in front of them, and uh, having to comfortable with relying on their own instincts in handling as they're thrown it. That makes perfect sense. So it's a no-brainer. So you're wondering why there's even an article? Well, no, I'm not wondering if there's an article. I'm wondering why a lot of people don't seem to understand that because it does feel like there's a lot of helicopter parenting. Well, because people feel it's a dangerous world out there. Well, you have it, escaped murderers well, on the loose. That doesn't happen often. And the guy was caught today, so you don't okay. have to worry about right. that anymore. Yeah, right. So let me just close with one thing that was kind of, you know, I wanted to bring to your attention. So going back to Uncle Morty and Aunt Kathy, 
All right. And I might say, what? Shanatova. Yes. Happy ha New Year. Well, yes. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is coming up. Right. To Morty and Tappy. But, uh, of course, you know, after leaving uh, Formingdale, I was saying to myself, I wonder if we have the program. Because it started with a conversation about playbills. What label do we have? And I right, saw, so right. I said to myself, I have to see. If, Wonder if we if, have if, if gentlemen Fleur, if my mother blonde. collected the label from gentlemen prefer blonde. So here's what I have. All right. Here is from my mother's collection. 1948. Hold on a second. I'll find it. First of all, here it is: the playbill for gentlemen prefer blondes. Okay. No, no, no. At, at the Ziegfeld Theater. Yes. And with Carol Channing, here's the best part. Now, you often don't have a date in a playbook. Uh -huh. But this one, you do. Let me just turn a couple of pages. You're hearing the sound of actual playbill pages being turned. Yes, here we go. And look what it, read the date into the microphone. Week beginning Monday, December 26, actually 1949. Right, 1949. It's not 1948, it's 1949, but the week beginning December 26. So that it was, definitely was New Year's week, right? Yes. In other words, this playbill yeah. exactly right. It was the playbill that they handed to them on their New Year's Eve celebration at the end of 1949. Can you believe it? Right. That's it, amazing. Isn't that something? Yep. So there we go. There uh, we go. Yeah. It's well, fun. It's well, fun to, um, as much as uh, we were lucky to be hoarders, Yeah. it's fun to be able to touch um the back actual in history yeah the actual this is like 75 that. years ago to connect with the, 75 years ago your parents right they handed this to my mother when she and morty and taffy and my father sat down at the club when your dad was 27 right yeah and morty was 23 yeah uh yeah all right so that's a great note to end on uh and uh Happy Rosh Hashanah, and we will uh, see you next week. This is Dan Abduhoff. And Tamson Granger. Tamson and Dan read the paper. Yeah.